You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Gianni Mola is the creator of Gianni's North Beach, an Italian cooking website found at Gianni.tv, with recipes, cooking videos, and news of Italian culture in San Francisco's North Beach. Gianni began by telling me of his efforts to save a historic mural in North Beach. Puccinella, which was a Neapolitan pizzeria, mm-hmm. actually run by uh, Mato Caputo. He's uh, Caputo Farina. That's the Zero Zero Flower in Italy. It's mm-hmm. the big flower company. So they were running this, and the guy whose money it was in Naples uh, got sick. I think he was diagnosed with cancer. So he called Mato up and he said, I gotta take care of myself. I don't want this far-flung restaurant. Close it. Well, he, they had painted in the back uh, on this really long 16-foot wall, directly onto the drywall, a beautiful, beautiful mural Puccinella, who's the Commedia d'arte character mm-hmm. uh, and puppet and also the symbol of Naples. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Puccinella, he's, he's the jokester. Trickster, he, right. Trickster, right? Mm-hmm. And he always plays a little bit dumb, but he's very smart and a little bit on the lazy side. So he's in one corner and then a wonderful, wonderful panorama of the city of Naples, Vesuvio, mm-hmm. and the Bay of Naples. And then to balance it off, uh, Varanas, who's the uh, muralist, put a small Puccinella ring, reading a, a book of, uh, of Neapolitan song lyrics down in this corner. It's a big Puccinella here. I loved it. Mm-hmm. So when they decided to close, I said to Mauro, let's figure out a way to save the mural. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't read my email until the next morning. And he sent me an email back saying, we already cut it out of the wall. It's on the floor. So wow. I ran up after work. Here's the 16-foot mural. I had cut it in half. They cut out the entire wall with the drywall and the studs in the back. Mm-hmm. And there were fragments all over the place. Oh, God. So I'm on my hands and knees with Mauer trying to pick them up, pick them up. I said, Mauer, we, we got to find a place to move this. So he, he, the landlord says, you got to get it out by noon tomorrow. So this is Saturday morning. I'm seeing this. So a friend of mine, one of the artists in the neighborhood, Howard, I said, Howard, can you come and take a look at this? Is this mural capable of salvation? And he comes in and he said, not only can it be restored, it should be restored. It's a, a North Beach treasure. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So now I got 24 hours, less than 24 hours, to find a place for this. So I run all around the neighborhood. It's art, it's a art walk. So all the galleries are full. They don't have any space. There's mobs of people walking the neighborhood. So I see John in focus, one of the galleries on Upper Grand. I said, you got any ideas? He said, there's a new gallery that opened Go ask them. So they were like a block away from Broadway and Columbus. So after stopping in maybe a dozen places, I didn't know these people. I walked in, told my story. They said, you could bring it here. Oh, that's great. So now, <laughs> how am I going to get it over there? So it was only three blocks away. So I said, I got to find a, 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 a furniture dolly. So now I go to Molinari's. I go to all my friends who got stores. You got a, you got a dolly. They didn't know what a dolly was. They all wanted to give me a hand truck. How am I going to 14 foot? 300 pound piece of wall on a pan truck. So I make my way back up to Focus Gallery. John's got a little dolly about this big. 
It's maybe two feet by a foot. So I said, okay, we can do this. So I got three guys. We go over. We set it on this uh, on this uh, little dolly. The thing's got to weigh 300 pounds, the big piece. Then there's another four-foot piece. So we said, okay, let's see if this is going to work. We put it on. It rolled well in the restaurant. Okay, let's bring it over to, over to the uh, Emerald Tablet. So we got to cross Columbus in front of Molinari, near St. Francis Church. We had to stop traffic. A Jaguar almost took off a corner to Mural as we're trying to go across. <laughs> Everybody would go through Trieste where all the poets and the artists hang out. And they're all cheering because they know Vranas and they know what happened to the Mural. So they're cheering us on. And we go around the corner and up this little alley and bring it into, uh, into Emerald Tablet. So now I got it in a safe harbor. And I got to figure out what we're going to do with it. So I, I found uh, one of the handymen in the neighborhood, Sean O'Donnell, was a carpenter. He came over. We had to stabilize this thing. We had to put the two pieces back together. We got Vron Os come over to supervise it all. And he's really worried that if these lines where that big seam was, that where they cut it in two don't line up, there's no way he's going to be able to restore it. Mm -hmm. We set it down on a model's platform, these two pieces. And Sean had done all of these measurements. He's kind of looking underneath. He did it blind. He was able to match, put the two pieces together perfectly without seeing the mural side. He was working from the back. Wow, <laughs> that's great. So then uh, Della, who's at uh, Emerald Tablet and Vranas, started to put the jigsaw puzzle together. All these fragments mm -hmm. had to be put together, pasted together. The voids had to be filled with plaster. CSI North Beach. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then after the pieces were put together, they put them back on the mural, and now Vranas is, uh, is repainting. Oh, really? And so I'm hoping to go down later this afternoon. He should be able to, he should have the last corner done. And then we'll frame it, and now we're trying to find a place where to put it. Because the only reason I saved it is I wanted to preserve a North Beach treasure, so I wanted to go back on public view. So that's, our, that's the next step. Sean will come back to frame it. He took all that drywall off. It's probably half the weight it was when we rolled it over. And then we got to find a place in North Beach that's accessible to the public, not a restaurant where you have to go in and buy something to see this. Right, a right. A public space so people can enjoy the song of Puccinella. That's great. What a great story. So <laughs> we don't have a lot of Naples in the neighborhood, right? They're mostly Northerners and uh, Italians and Sicilians. And my roots are in Naples, so... I want Songa Puccinella to be back in North Beach. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking with Gianni Mola. He's the creator of Johnny's North Beach website, Johnny.tv. Thank you for joining me, Johnny. My pleasure. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks for coming to my humble abode. Well, gosh, just for the smell alone. <laughs> you know, it's worth it. What a great, what a treat. Um, your roots are in Naples. Were you were you born in Italy? No, I'm a first generation uh, Italian American. Mm -hmm. My uh, mother was born in Mirabelli Clana, mm -hmm. and Mirabella is about uh, Iclano is about 45 kilometers inland from Naples, mm -hmm. so it's in the Apennine foothills. Uh, just a beautiful area, uh, very volcanic soil. So there's some great vineyards there. Tarassi comes from there. There's some great Alianico that comes from there. Um, and she came over when she was very small with her, her family, and they settled in uh, Newark, New Jersey, mm -hmm. which back at the turn of the century uh, was the fifth largest Italian-American community in the United States. My father actually is Polish, mm -hmm. so I'm not 100% Italian. <laughs> uh, 
But my father, uh, when his family escaped from the Habsburgs, uh, his family were Polish nationalists and they were trying to throw off the Austrian rule. His oldest brother, a university student, was killed by the Kaiser's troops. So his parents, of course, fled the country and made their way to the United States. Mm -hmm. When he got here, because he was the youngest, um, they couldn't care for him. So they put him in an orphanage in Newark, thinking they'd get the family stabilized, then they'd come back and get him. Mm -hmm. When they went back, he had been adopted, and uh, the records had been sealed. Then he was adopted by a woman. Uh, I call him Grandma Down the Restaurant because he had a restaurant in the first ward uh, from Naples. Okay. So he grew up with Italian as his, or Neapolitan dialect as his first language. Wow. And he was totally acculturated mm -hmm. uh, in the, uh, you know, the food and culture of, of Naples. He worked in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was called Quezon. One of my trips back there, uh, we were going, we were in Capri and we were making our way up to Ana Capri at the top of the island. Mm -hmm. And we were walking down these narrow islands and we walked into a piazza. And I see this huge, beautiful building, and it says Quesana. Turns out to be a hotel and spa in Capri that my grandma down the restaurant named her restaurant after. So uh, it's fun to go back to Italy and find some of these connections. I've been mm -hmm. back to my mother's village also. But anyway, my father, as a teenager, was working in the restaurant, and all of a sudden people were coming in and said, Jerry, what are you doing on uh, Freeling Eisen Avenue? He said, I wasn't there. What are you doing on Stuyvesant Avenue? I wasn't there. That's the Eastern European immigrant community. Mm -hmm. It happened so frequently that my father decided he was going to walk the, those commercial areas and see what the hell everybody's talking about, that he's he's there, he's not there, he's, uh -huh. he's on 7th Avenue in the first ward of Newark. <laughs> so he's walking down the street one day, he sees this guy coming towards him, and uh, both of them, when they look at each other, stop in their tracks because they thought they were looking at a mirror. His uh, older brother Martin and my father uh, were very much alike. Oh, really? And that's how he reunited with his, his family. Polish family. Wow, what a great story. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we visited them a lot. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember it was always strange because they were making galumpty and all these Polish things. Uh, but I never really spent a lot of time there or uh, got to enjoy or understand Pol uh, Polish food and culture. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself 100% Neapolitan by acculturation and by blood. Tell us about coming to North Beach. This is a, a wonderful community. I came here for the first time uh, when I went to dinner at uh, De Flora, actually, ah. and it was such it was such a it was a Friday night. It was just lively and exciting. And Flora was there then. Yeah, right? I thought she was going to have already left for Venice, but she delayed her trip. So I it, hope she took care of it. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you all had the best food I've ever had in a restaurant. It was delicious. Yes. Uh, Flora's a good friend of mine. I, I, she's a mentor in a lot of ways. She's very knowledgeable about Italian food, Italian wine, Venice. Sweet potato gnocchi. Oh, my God. you got to put a towel over them so they don't float <laughs> off the plate. They are unbelievable. And with a little sage uh, brown butter sauce, and that's it. And a mm. little little Parmigiano, and, yeah. you're, and you're good. Yeah. So I, I uh, have been visiting uh, San Francisco probably since the 70s. You know, I, I uh, spent most of my life on the East Coast, mm -hmm. um, and I loved San Francisco, and it always was a dream to be able to find a way to spend part of my life here. Um, and when I decided uh, to, to make a move, I was offered a job at the University of California, and that allowed me to move out here. 
I knew that I had to be in North Beach because it's the Italian-American community. Any place that I've ever lived, I've always got to be close to or in the Italian-American community because I need my soul food. Mm -hmm. I need a salamari, I need a butcher, so I can get all of the things <laughs> that I that I want to eat. So that's why North Beach. Um, so for the last 20 years or so, I've lived in and about North Beach. I've lived on Telegraph Hill. Uh, I lived in North Beach proper, and now I'm on Russian Hill on the other side of North Beach. So it's my medieval style of life. I live up on the hill and every day I go down, spend time in the village with my friends at the cafe, go buy whatever I need to cook that day, and I just love it. Now, one of the things I think was thought was so interesting when I read your recipes, um, and I, that um, men of our generation learn to cook from their father and their mother. And, and I know my mother taught me to cook, and my father didn't really teach me to cook. He went, didn't cook anything. But you learn from both, so I'd like you to talk about uh, just when as a kid you decided you liked cooking. Uh, I like to eat, so I always like to cook. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I, why I did, too. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I grew up in, uh, in Bloomfield. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, uh, the front of the house was in Bloomfield. The back of the house was in the north ward of Newark. Mm -hmm. So this is an Italian-American, southern Italian-American neighborhood for blocks and blocks and blocks. Um, and uh, all of my neighbors either spoke Italian or were first generation. So, you know, food's always a big part of our life. And, and uh, when I was probably five years old, you always spent time in the kitchen, right? And the, mm -hmm. and the women are gonna spend most of Sunday cooking. So my uncles would come over, my aunt lived downstairs, my mother lived upstairs, so I learned from both of them. And whoever was doing the cooking, I was there helping them. And my uncles would come over on Sunday to visit their sisters uh, while they were cooking. So I always uh, was like a sous chef to them. I like that. To try, you're training your own child as a sous chef. Yes. That's a great yes. way to, for the kid to learn. And yes. <laughs> so that's how I learned the recipe. So, you know, my mother cooked, uh, cooked Neapolitan from the recipe she learned from her mother. My grandmother, when I was very small, was still there. So sometimes she would be involved in the cooking also. So these are recipes that are handed down in families generation to generation, and now they're being handed down to me. And I'm passing it on to my nieces and nephews and my grandnieces and nephews. My godson, Jonathan's 13, and he's been cooking with me. Any time I'm in Jersey, he's right at my side. So he's learning these recipes now. His mother is a fantastic cook, and she's learned most of the family recipes already. So that's the way I grew up. And these are traditions. These are cultures. These are family events with friends. You, you lay out this table here with lots of good food. You know, people come over here to eat, and we'll start at 2 o'clock on a Sunday, and I'll have to throw them out at 10. So it's an eight-hour, four-course meal. Slow, laughter, conversation, good food. But well, one bad thing about learning the way I did was that my friends would ask me, how do you make certain things? And I couldn't tell them mm -hmm. because my mother didn't have any recipes. I used to be her salt checker when she was making a, a soup or something. She'd always have me taste it and say, good as salt? <laughs> so when we're making pasta, you know, eggs and water, whatever, whatever pasta she was making that day, I would roll it. And how did I know that it was ready to be shaped? It was by the feel of it. Mm -hmm. So when folks asked me recipes, I couldn't tell you you need a tablespoon of this, you need two cups of that. The only way you could learn, I told them, is come over and watch me cook it. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, you can, we'll measure this stuff and you can write it all down. So it was an oral tradition that I grew up with. 
But being in the kitchen, you had the benefit because you could always taste things as <laughs> the meal was being made. And sometimes I was so full by the time we came to eat about two o'clock on a Sunday, I didn't want any more, but I always found room for it. <laughs> That's the problem when you make food that good. Yeah. And then my, my Aunt Florence downstairs, my mother's older sister, of course, cooked in the same way they learned in Mirabella Clano. And when they came here, she married a Calabrian, my mm. Uncle Frank. So Calabria is the is a little bit south of Campania. Similar food, but they like their peppers. Yeah, I got some of those peppers. Oh my God. Tuto. Oh, my, my uncle Frank during the summer grew these little hot peppers in the backyard and I have to go out and pick them off the off the plant for him and he just eat them raw. I couldn't even <laughs> hold them in my hand, they were so hot. So my aunt got to, uh, uh, had to learn to adapt her cooking to my Uncle Frank's tastes. Hmm. So she started to cook more Calabrian than Campania. And uh, so that's how I was able to branch out into that adjacent region. More recently, having spent, you know, every year I try to spend some time in Italy in the various regions, and the regions, the food in every region is unbelievably different hmm. from north to south. The last time we were there, we spent a lot of time in Emilia Romana, which is some people think is the culinary heart of Italy because that's where prosciutto de parma comes from parmigiano comes from um, and when we go we rent an apartment and uh, we go out doing whatever we're doing during the day as we're walking around we see what's good in the market and pretty soon we got dinner mm -hmm. at least we we have an idea of dinner <laughs> and on our way back we'll stop at the greengrocer we'll stop at the butcher and then go back and so when i was in emilio romano we were making bolognese food mm -hmm. so that's the heavy red sauces, right? Uh, not heavy red oh. stuff. Uh, stuffed pastas, Ooh. tortelloni, oh, that's... Uh, brodo. Mm. Uh, What's brodo? Uh, brodo is just a, ch a chicken broth that you'll do, uh, put the stuffed uh, pastas in. Oh, okay. Uh, funny story about that. We were gonna, we wanted to make a brodo and we wanted to make tortelloni. Uh, so we stopped in um, in a butcher shop. And uh, I, we were buying some things, and I, I told the guy I want to make a brodo. I'm talking a little bit in Italian with him. And I said, I need some chicken. He said, no, I, you can't have chicken. I said, why not? I need chicken. I want to make a broth. He said, you can only make a brodo with uh, old capon. <laughs> Capone vecchie. <laughs> he goes in the back. He gets this skinny, gnarled, uh, dried up fowl and I said well I don't need the whole thing so he cut off like a big chunk of it for me like maybe a half of it uh, and he said you have to use this he was absolutely right it was the best brodo I made in my life oh really so you know people are very particular when you're in Italy if you share with them what you want to do and you're going a little bit astray they're going to put you back on the on the right path another time in Bologna we went to our favorite pasta store and my friend saw this uh these fettuccine, spinach, and, and egg, and they wanted that. The woman asked me what, what I was going to do with it, and she said, you can't have that, because my sauce was a long-cooked sauce. This was a very quick pasta. Mm -hmm. So she had already wrapped it up. You know, when you're in Italy, you even buy something like pasta. They wrap it in paper. They tie it with a bow. So she wouldn't sell it to me. So she unwrapped the whole thing. <laughs> she told me to go over there and get those. Go get the tortellini. Put those in that sauce. So I learned a lot. Uh, and I try to replicate those recipes from other regions while I'm here in San Francisco when I'm family and friends on the East Coast. Now, uh, when you develop your recipes for your website, how many times do you go through it for yourself, with yourself, with your friends? Give us an idea of your process. Uh, 
when it first comes into your head to make something to the final thing we see on the web? Well, it, you know, it depends. I've been making pizzas probably four decades. <laughs> okay, well, that's... A so there's not a lot that I have to figure out other than what the toppings are going to be that day, depending on what our desires are. We call them woolies. Mm-hmm. That's a Neapolitan dialect that you absolutely have to have something to eat. It's an uncontrollable desire. Woolies. Woolies. You know, another dish, like some of the lasagnas I make or the eggplant parmesan I make... Uh, I've been making them for so long, I just make them when I want them. There are others, though, that are new to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do I do? I have very extensive... I may have tasted something in Italy, mm-hmm. and I want to figure out how I can make it here. You have to... Do you have to do a reverse engineer it's a rever- Yeah, I have to deconstruct it, right? Ah. I have to figure out. So I'm very careful, especially with uh, friends and family in Italy, to taste fully. Mm-hmm. So I'll spend time, and I'll talk with other people at the table. What's that other note in the, uh, in the meat stuffing for the tortelloni? And we'll try to identify what that herb is, maybe a little bit of sage, maybe a little bit of rosemary in the roasted meat and vegetables that you grind up. So I'll come, I'll come back here, and uh, you know, I'll, try to, I'll try to replicate it after doing research. I have a very extensive Italian cookbook mm-hmm. library. So I'll read some of those. Uh, try to get an idea. There might be similar recipes there that I could adapt for my use. But now with the internet, uh, I'll search around there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are certain people whose recipes uh, uh, I appreciate. I can usually look at a recipe on the internet just with the ingredients and know whether I'm going to read it or not. Right, right. Because, you know, Italian food is the best of the best ingredients and as few ingredients as possible. Mm-hmm. So if I see a re- recipe on the internet that's like, a foot long for roasted vegetables and meat that I'm going to make a stuffed pasta. I'm not even going to look at it. Right. So usually I'm lucky. I'll, I'll nail it on the first try, and I may make it for myself or my some friends might be around. I said, I'm going to try a new recipe. It may turn out. It may not. Uh, and then we, we're able to enjoy it. And most times it's, it's, it's going to be more than edible. It's going to be coming pretty close to my taste memories from when I had that dish somewhere in Italy. Or something I had from when I was a kid. And my sisters and my brother are also good references. I'm the youngest of four. Mm. So anytime I have a question about something, about how did they make the crust for the pastiera, the Easter pie, we'll talk on the phone and mm. people, are, you know, my, my two sisters and my brother share their menus about, no, she didn't, put, she didn't put the lemon rind over there. So we'll have these arguments but I just have a wealth of information now to kind of distill into the crust that I'm going to use for, for my Easter pie. What a great thing. I love the Easter pies. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, <clears throat> I like the, I think one of the things that appeals to me about your, your recipes is what you said, the best ingredients and the fewest of them. And this is something that I find, you know, very off-putting in so many books, recipes you see out there where, as you described it, a foot long. And what I notice with your recipes is, especially when I make them pretty much exactly as as you put them, there's a great synthesis that happens that you can't taste. For example, uh, you just put up a recipe for roasted pork tenderloin. Um, it's got rosemary, it has sage, it has salt and pepper and olive oil, and that's pretty much it. And a little bit of smashed garlic. Smashed garlic, yes, that's right, that's right. And, and, uh, what I found was is that um, 
you put all those things together and when you taste it, you don't taste anything too much. There's a great synthesis there. And, and that recipe in particular, you know, tenderloin's a very uh, long, small piece of meat. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it's very tender and it's very flavorful. If you like pork, you're gonna like pork tenderloin. So with that one, that recipe, all I do is use those ingredients, the sage, the rosemary, the, the garlic, the olive oil, as a, a quick marinade. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I put all of that in a, in, a, in a dish, I'll roll the tenderloin around in it with a little salt and pepper and uh, give it a chance to infuse a little bit into the meat, but it's only gonna be there for about 30 minutes. So you're really just getting that faint scent of all of those things. Mm -hmm. When you brown the meat, you're gonna get that nice brown crust on the outside. That's I love the bring crispy another, crust. Right, the crispy crust, nothing yeah. better than crispy pork. <laughs> So uh, you're gonna get that flavor introduced, but every bite's gonna have that little echo of that quick marinade in the beginning. But what's the star? It's the tenderloin. That's why we made that dish. I wanted to eat pork. <laughs> I wanna taste pork. But it can be embellished a little bit, and that's what the marinade does, and that's what browning it does before you roast it in the oven. Now, your uh, lasagna, lasagna al forno, is unlike any lasagna I've ever eaten or made, and it's about a thousand times better. And I think what makes the big difference is, for me at least, is uh, most lasagnas are stuffed with ricotta cheese or mozzarella. This, and there's a little bit of, I think, mozzarella in that. But you make this lovely balsamella sauce. Yes. The cream. Talk about that. <laughs> Where did you, what, did you, uh, was that a family dish or was that no, something no, you No, 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 no. You know, that, uh, that recipe is really Tuscan. Mm, okay. Uh, so I've eaten that in Tuscany. Uh, and it's something that I just really, really enjoyed. And I think originally... Uh, I came across a recipe by uh, Bugiali, who's a really great uh, Tuscan cookbook author. Um, and I adapted Bugiali's recipe, and it came very close to, again, my food memories. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a big difference, the food of Tuscany. When I'm in Tuscany, a lot of times, my friends get mad at me because I tell them, we got to go someplace else. I'm tired of all this brown food. So their sauces are completely different. They use butter, they don't use olive oil that much. Uh, so uh, usually I'll tire of that very quickly, but this lasagna al forno with the bechamel is just one of my favorites and I make it all the time. So what's the key to it? It's just the bechamel, it's a roux, it's butter, it's a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of salt and pepper, cooked until it coats the back of the spoon. That's it, it takes you like 15 minutes to make it. So in that recipe, I have uh, uh, fresh mozzarella, uh -huh. parmigiana, the bechamel, fresh, uh, I think I use usually a three egg pasta dough, so it's gonna be a little bit golden and light. I make my own pasta, mm -hmm. and uh, butter. That's what gives the noodles on the bottom, the pasta on the bottom and the sides of the casserole. That's right, that's butter, And on yeah. top, it's gonna give it again that nutty, crispy flavor. In, in Campania, in Naples, we don't use butter. So, the, you know, it, it's an adaptation. But that's something from Tuscany that I, I love and keep, keep making all the time. Now, yeah, now that you use, uh, your recipe calls for dried porcini mushrooms. Yes. And I think that's kind of important because when you soak those, you get this broth that is really rich and tasty. And that really gives the, the meat sauce, which is very meaty. I mean, that's one of the things I like about this. It's not, not your tomato-y lasagna. Exactly. It's, a, it's meat and this creamy uh, balsamella are the main flavors with the little layers of cheese in there. But is it possible to use? For if, is it 
preferable, say, to use um, fresh porcini mushrooms if you can get them. I, I don't. Can you get them? Uh, I may know. Send a couple of my way. <laughs> Friend okay. of mine's uh, husband was just in Milan, mm -hmm. and of course, this is this is mushroom season in Italy. So uh, he sent back, back pictures of these basketfuls of fresh porcini. Oh. Um, so I was trying to get her to, uh, my friend to get her husband to put a couple in his suitcase, but he didn't do it. So usually all I can get is, uh, is dry porcini. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're extremely flavorful. You reconstitute them, can use them the same way as you can uh, fresh porcini. Mm -hmm. But fresh porcini is like eating a steak. I don't uh -huh. know if you've ever had them. Yeah, actually, we there's a place in Santa Cruz fits fresh mushrooms, and occasionally they'll give you some. They will get a batch of port, fresh right. porcinis in, in the Santa Cruz market. And a, and a mushroom uh, shop in the Furry Building sometimes will get them, mm -hmm. but very expensive. Sometimes my friend Graziano who's got uh, Cafe Puccini. Sometimes uh, friends of his uh, up north uh, will go foraging for porcini, mm. and they'll bring him some. So if the fresh porcini have arrived at Cafe Puccini, the word goes around the neighborhood because Graziano's going to be cooking up a pasta with fresh porcini. Everybody wants to be there. <laughs> the uh, last time I was in Venice, I got invited to uh, dinner at uh, friends of mine. So I asked them, what could I bring? So I said, ah, bring something for antipasto. So I was out uh, searching the, uh, the farmer's market in, in uh in Venice, and I came across fresh porcini. I said, this is what I'm bringing to Johnny and Enrico's house. So I went back to the apartment. A friend of mine was not there and let me use her apartment right off the Piazza San Marco. So I had a stove there. All I did was marinate the mushrooms in a little olive oil, salt and pepper, a little bit of smashed garlic, and grilled them mm. on top of her stove. And then just gave them a little, little bit of dusting of uh, very sweet, thick balsamic vinegar. And that was the antipasto I brought to the dinner that night in Dorso Doro. It was the hit. Here's all these Venetians, and they want to know what this guy from America knows. But when they tasted those porcini, they were gone like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that reminds me, boy, of the, the onions. Oh, the agrodolce. Yeah. Cipollini agrodolce. Yeah, we were getting these perfect uh, cipollini for a while in Santa Cruz. They're the exact right size because the small ones are too small. You, right. They just uh, too much of a pain to deal right. with. Right. You want them like maybe two inches yeah. wide in diameter. Yeah, and we were getting those for a while, but that is a, just an incredible recipe. When I explain it to people, they look at me and say, I'm not going to eat an onion. But when you feed it to them, they just disappear. <laughs> Yes, yes. And it's so simple, right? You uh -huh. just peel them, you blanch them until they're uh, knife tender. Yeah. In a saute pan, you're just going to get some butter going. Uh, you're going to put some sugar in there, and uh, you're going to put the, the uh, cipollini in there until they pick up a little bit of a golden crust. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to put in uh, maybe a tablespoon or two of balsamic vinegar, reduce it down, and it's a great dish. My, I have friends like that. Oh, he's got onions on it. I don't want to eat onions. Yeah. Next thing I'm looking, they're taking the last one. The third one they ate already. They took the last one out of the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great dish. It's a great, and it's a great accompaniment. You can serve it on an antipasti platter with, you know, some prosciutto or salamis, uh, some cheese, but it's also a great side dish. I think uh, the recipe I posted was with the uh, porchetta. Yeah, the porchetta. And, and that's a, also a wonderful dish. And one of the things that I loved about this, and this is something that's common to a lot of your stuff, 
you like a good crispy meat, and yes. I like I like your your <laughs> recipes. You, I mean, I have to say, I'm a carnivore. So are you. A lot of your recipes feature really good meat. Yes, yes, and you know when you're roasting meats, a lot of people just uh, put them in the oven and cook it at 325, right? A relatively low temperature. Mm -hmm. So what happens? You end up with maybe a, a rare or a medium rare roast but it's got no flavor mm -hmm. what's the key to it before you put it in the oven brown it in a cast iron skillet get that crust going on the outside mm -hmm. and then i usually roast when i put something in the oven it's very hot it's going to go in at 425 the rest of that crust is going to develop and then i'll bring it down to finish cooking to maybe 350 or 375 until i reach the right internal temperature but you don't get this gray looking roast that has no flavor to it. The crust is really what fills your mouth. When you cut into that roast, that's the flavor that's going to explode. Exactly. Now, uh, you also cook a lot of chicken. Yes. And I have to say, some of this stuff just seems like, I, I, I'll read one of your recipes and I'll think, why didn't anybody ever do that before? Because it's the best thing in the world and it's totally <laughs> simple. And here I'm talking about rosemary chicken. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, uh, it takes like two minutes to make. It takes two IQ points. And, <laughs> and no skill. And no skill. <laughs> I, I mean, anybody can do this, and it's absolutely delicious. Yes, yes. And it's like the, the other one. My, my mother used to make this all the time, is uh, chicken oregonata. Yeah, I love that. It's right? Everything, the all your vegetables and everything are right in the same casserole that you're roasting the chicken in the oven, and you got a whole meal on a, in, in one casserole dish. I think that's so, uh, and you have a very interesting philosophy, I think, of cooking. Uh, um, it has two sides. On one side is you, you have these dishes that say good ingredients, not very many of them, and they're simple. But also I think that lends itself to a communal feeling when you're sharing it with your friends and family because it's not hard to cook and they can kind of hang out in the kitchen with you. And I think that's one of the things about food and about cooking and about you know cooking it the way you do that is really important and I think becoming more important to people just because it's better than going out. It's better than going out and it's all about spending some quality time with friends and family. And a lot of times if I'm doing a dinner here uh, people will come over early because they want to hang out in the kitchen and watch me make these dishes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're drinking a little bit of wine, we're talking, the food's getting prepared. Sometimes they'll play sous chef for me, smash, you know, chop that onion up for me or, or the garlic or whatever. And they'll get involved in, um, in uh, making that dish with me. I've had friends who hadn't been in the kitchen for decades, who after kind of hanging out here for a while, now are crazy cooks. They just were able through enjoying the interaction of people around food, the preparation of it, the joy of something turning out well, sitting around the table for six, eight hours eating all this stuff. It brought the joy of cooking and eating back into their lives and now they're crazy cooks. Another one I thought that was, again, just absurdly simple. And another dish that I would happily pay you know, 25 to 30 bucks a plate for at my local bittersweet bistro, and I love their food and I enjoy the meals there, is the uh, uh, macaroni with uh, baby back rib sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there's an example of, you know, I was talking about my Aunt Florence who lived downstairs from us and her Calabrian husband, my Uncle Frank. Mm -hmm. 
so she used to make that dish. I had forgotten about that dish. I hadn't made it in a long time. My mother, when you, she made her long-cooked uh, sugo on Sunday, sometimes would flavor that with uh, uh, pork neck bones. Mm -hmm. So I've made that one be uh, recently or, or over time. But the, the, the baby back rib ones I had forgotten about. Last year, you know, the relationship between Chinatown and North Beach has not always been the most harmonious, right? The two <laughs> neighborhoods abut one another. So uh, for the last couple of years, the Merchants Association in Chinatown in, in North Beach decided they were going to try to host an annual event that was going to bring the two neighborhoods closer together. So they do Noodle Fest in May. This past year, they asked me to do uh, the cooking demonstration on how to make fresh pasta. So I was in front of St. Francis, the National Shrine of St. Francis on Vallejo. They had somebody in Chinatown doing Chinese noodles. So my stage was there. And the rest of the block was filled with these tents where various restaurateurs were making a pasta because in Noodle Fest, you get a passport, you buy, you, you buy a ticket, you get a passport, you could have three noodle dishes in Chinatown and three pastas in, in North Beach. That sounds like a good deal. It's wonderful. Keep an eye out for it. We, I think we had 1,200, 1,500 people last year. Uh, it's a great atmosphere, usually in May. The weather's fantastic. In North Beach, there's probably 20 of the best restaurants in North Beach doing their favorite pasta dishes. So, I, you know, I had to do these demonstrations at a certain time, but in between I had a break. So I was getting hungry, right? I got raw pasta. I can't eat the ravioli I made or the, you know, the spinach pasta, whatever. So I look, the closest to me was uh, the tent for Vicoletto. Mm -hmm. So I knew Vicoletto, but I hadn't eaten there. It's a Calabrian restaurant. So I ran over there and uh, they were doing this pork rib sauce baby back pork rib sauce in a really flavorful, rich tomato uh, sauce. So I went over and they gave me a little, a little portion. I noticed they have one of those five gallon jars of peppers mm -hmm. packed in oil. So the sun was kind of hitting it and it turns this red gold color, the oil. So uh, Francesco says to me, you like it hot? I said, yeah, I like hot. So he takes a, a tablespoon and he puts a few drops of that pepper oil on the pasta. And then he gives it a little bit of Parmesan or Pecorino. I forget which one he put on it. I took a bite of that, two tears immediately out of my eyes because <laughs> the pepper oil was on fire. But I love it. I love it. And just adding the pepper, the pepper oil, Brings that dish to a whole different level. Exactly, it's I, incredible. And, and those peppers, they, we, I was able to get that. I had to like stop motion your video to figure out what brand they were because I was trying to figure it out. And actually, we did have, we do have them. Yeah, it's Tutta Calabria. Yeah, Tutta yeah, Calabria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was able to get those, and that those are really good. And I actually, in the arugula dish. You had a, I, when you, in your presentation photo, you had one of those on top. Yes. And I actually put one on top and I just kind of cut it up in pieces and I was able, it does it, it adds a, it really takes, adds a whole new uh, shelf yes. to, to the flavor of almost any dish you put it in. Yes, it's incredible. And that's, you know, that's one of the beauties of Calabrian cooking. And that's why, you know, I used to come home from football practice when I was in high school. And I'd stop in at my Aunt Florence's because she was on the first floor to see what she was cooking. It was always going to be something that was hot. So if it was one of the dishes I liked, I'd go and I'd eat dinner with her and my Uncle Frank, right? <laughs> 
So then I'd have to go upstairs, and my mother was cooking. I'd have two dinners most nights. Good thing we had an arduous football practice, so I didn't have to gain too much weight. But I developed very early a, 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 a real uh, appreciation for what pepper does for food. You know, one of the things, too, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier, and I think this is key to making your recipes right and well, is the browning process. Because with both the uh, baby back ribs and the pork tenderloin, both of those, I mean, I spend about 20 minutes browning those ribs and getting them really, have a really crisp, dark brown crust on all the sides. And same with the tenderloin. Because I think, and I think that makes a really big difference. It gives it gives flavor to the bottom of the bowl, the fond, you call it. Exactly. And, and what's nice, that's nice too. I learned a, a new term. I never heard the term. The fond. brown bits on the bottom yeah. when you saute meat that way, brown meat that way, the fond, yes. And and you know, I I never lose that. Uh, I used to, I I cook uh, when I'm down with my sister Lucy and my uh, brother-in-law Carl. They live in Richmond, Virginia. It was a big uh, scandal in the family when my sister decided she, uh, she and Carl were going to get married because we were Neapolitan, but Carl's family was Sicilian. And I don't know if you know, but in Italy, the further north you are, the better you are, you think. Mm -hmm. So if you're in Tuscany, anybody who's south of you, those people aren't as good as the Tuscans are. So here we are in Naples, the Mezzogiorno. The northerners don't like us anyway, right? We're pasta eaters, a lot of tomatoes. So... They didn't want my sister to marry Carl because he was Sicilian. That's furthered south. So mm -hmm. there's these regional biases. But Carl is a very good cook. But Carl also is, he likes a clean kitchen. Mm. I was down there, we were down there celebrating Easter. And I had just finished browning something. I forget what it was. And I turn around and there's Carl. He takes the pan, he's got it in the sink. He's scraping out all the brown bits. I almost killed him. <laughs> I said, Carl, do me a favor. When I'm browning something, I leave the pan on the, on the stove. Don't touch it. That's what we're looking for is the flavor that's in that pan. Well, what's amazing, too, is how rich that tomato sauce is and how simple the ingredients are. I believe it's just garlic, uh, the salt and pepper, and uh, the San Marzano tomatoes. You can crush very, very important to hand crush them. Yes. I don't know why, but I did it, yes. and it, it, it came <laughs> out fine. You saw me doing when you yeah. came, right? I'm making the chalpina. I have my hand in a bowl crushing San Marzano tomatoes. And uh, then the, the 10 fresh basil leaves, and that that's was it. It, that's it. And, uh, that's it. it. What do we got, four ingredients? Yeah, four ingredients. Maybe five if you count the uh, extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, I'm, I think that's what, uh, uh, that makes a big difference for me. For, and I think for anybody approaching a cookbook, approaching a meal, if you're gonna make something and you have to get this stuff out and figure it or buy it, it's just, it's just off-putting. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm lazy and I'm. I am too. That's why I cook the way I cook. <laughs> <laughs> I want good ingredients. I'm gonna have them handy to me, and I want to be in and out of the kitchen quickly. I don't want to spend all day in there if I'm making a during the week dinner for me or friends. No, the idea is you want to spend probably less time preparing the meal than you do eating, eating it. it. Yes. And that's yes. The, the golden balance. Yes. Because <laughs> so you'll notice that a lot of my uh, uh, cooking videos and a lot of my recipes, I try to get in and out of the kitchen in less than an hour mm -hmm. and still have a delightful, delicious meal. And I think you succeed. And I think those who uh, want to find some great recipes uh, can do no better than to go to your website. 
and they can, uh, you know, they can see the video. Mm -hmm. uh, so the videos are all 15 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. That's uh, another thing that's very nice. Right. I don't have to, you know, you just, we see exactly what we need to see. Right. There's, uh, there's no filler in it. Right. Uh, my videographer, my uh, partner, Jeff Deal, is absolutely fantastic. It's just he and, he and I in the kitchen. Sometimes we'll have a second camera guy. Uh, so I'll start from the beginning and go to the end. And luckily, nothing messes up. But Jeff's, got, Jeff's not a cook. Mm -hmm. But he's got a wonderful eye. And we'll talk about it a little bit before we start shooting. Uh, he's got a wonderful eye for where, what he has to keep in this in this video, mm -hmm. everything else goes. So we, he may have ended up with 20, 25, 30 minutes of video, but everything has to be cut down to 15 minutes or less. That used to be the YouTube rule. Mm, okay, so that's right, why. It was like 12 minutes or something. You went above 12, and then you, uh, you couldn't upload to YouTube. So that's why we started to discipline ourselves that way. But then some people who kind of stumble on the site and they see a video will criticize me. Because you'll notice in the, in the videos, usually I'll have it laid out in front of me, the four or five ingredients that are going to go into the dish, mm -hmm. and I'll explain what they are, and then I'll cook with them, but I'm not telling you a, a, a measurements. So some people just stumble on the video, watch the video, and say, the guy's good, but it's fun to watch him, but he doesn't tell you the details about how to make this. You have to kind of look below the video box. There's always a full text recipe. Right, right. And actually, I think I think I made the ribs from the recipe before I watched the video. Before you watched the yeah. video. And it, it came just, out well for yeah, you. Good, 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 good. Excellent, I excellent. I mean, it's exactly what we're looking for. Now, you also do tours of Italy, don't you? Uh, we are trying to put together a tour of Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, we're now working with our partner to establish some dates for 2012. We want to go back to Emilio Romana. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to spend time from the Adriatic coast uh, to Bologna. Uh, so it'll be a seven-day trip. Uh, it'll include all of uh, lodging. Once once you get yourself to Bologna, you're in our hands. We'll take care of you. Lodging, any admissions, all the food. We'll do cooking demonstrations. We'll have some cooking classes. We'll visit some of the best chefs in uh, in Emilia Romana. We'll stay overnight in a fully intact medieval village. We'll go porcini hunting. So I'm going to get some porcini next year, uh, and then we'll end up in Bologna. And from there, we'll use that as a base to go uh, see how they make uh, balsamic vinegar in Modena. Uh, we'll go tour uh, where they make Parmigiana de Par uh, uh, and uh, prosciutto di Parma. So we should probably in the next month or so have those dates up for uh, uh, September 2012. So people uh, should keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a relatively small group. We don't want any more than 20. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be your, uh, your guide. Uh, we'll have native uh, Italian-speaking people from the area also with us, uh, and it's just going to be a great, a great week in uh, the culinary heart of Italy. It sounds like fun, and even as we speak, I can smell the sauce for the, uh, oh, the, the Friday recipe cooking. <laughs> <laughs> we we changed the name of it. it. Used to be Friday recipes, but then we noticed on our uh, analytics that most people were opening it and then opening it again on Saturday or Sunday. Uh -huh. So you know, if you're working a Monday Friday job, uh, you can see if you want to make it and then have the time to make it on Saturday and Sunday. So now we're going at a weekend recipe instead right. of a Friday recipe. So this week's Chalpino. And, and talk about uh, getting what you did. You did something uh, interesting with the shellfish. 
Ah, so you know Chalpino. You, you know the history of Chalpino. It was, it was developed no. in uh, in the 1850s uh, on Fisherman's Wharf. So when the immigrants came over in the second half of the 19th century, there were two primary areas that they came from. One was Liguria, so that's that area on the uh, on the coast of Italy, the northern coast of Italy, mm -hmm. uh, where Genoa is. Uh, so they had a lot of fish and a lot of fishing people, a lot of fish, fishermen. Uh, so they, when they came here to the United States, they were fishermen in San Francisco. Uh, and also, uh, other big population that came a little bit later than the Ligurians uh, were the Sicilians. Again, big fishing culture. Um, so the um, fishermen down in Fisherman's Wharf, there's two stories. I like this one. It's kind of, myth. It, it's kind of a myth. They got done fishing all day, the boats come in. Somebody puts a big pot on the, on the fire uh, and starts a tomato sauce. As the boats come in, the guys start to gather, uh, they want to make a fish stew, right? The Ligurians make an absolutely wonderful fish, fish stew. The Sicilians do, zuppa de pesce. So to be able to enjoy what's going to come out of this pot, you have to chip in. So they're yelling, you know, uh, what are you going to put in? And this is what's left over out of their catch. Who has a couple of clams left over? Who's got some mussels? Who's got a piece of haddock? Who's got a piece of rock carrot? So they come in and they're chipping in. They're putting a little bit of their uh, fish pieces into this fish stew. So some people say that's how it got its name, Chalpino, because they used to say, Chalpin, Chalpin, what are you going to put in? <laughs> so I don't know if that's true. There's also a, a Ligurian uh, fish stew, fish soup called uh, Chupin. So some people say that the name Chalpino probably really comes from that Ligurian fish stew. But I like the chip-in story, too. So you put, you put in whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got uh, mussels and clams. So that's what you saw me doing. I feed my mussels and clams before I eat them, right? Because sometimes that shellfish, they're on the bottom, they can pick up sand. There's nothing worse than having sand in your broth, in your, in your fish stew. So what I do is I put them in a bowl. I uh, give them a lot of my Sicilian sea salt, kind of try to recreate the, the environment they came from, and then I feed them polenta. I cover the top with polenta, I stir it around a little bit, the mussels and clams are going to eat the polenta, whatever uh, sand was still in their shell is going to be excreted before I cook them. Could you talk about just the website itself? When did you decide to do a website? I mean, what, what led you to say, I'm going to start sharing this with uh, a bigger family, so to speak? It, it, it's a curious beginning. About a year ago, actually we've been doing this for about a year now, almost, almost to the date. Uh, about a year ago there was a controversy that was uh, getting picked up by the Chronicle. There were some people that were complaining that North Beach has red, white, and green painted on its light poles, right? The Italian colors, tri colore. Mm -hmm. So people were complaining that why should this neighborhood be able to put up Italian colors? This is America. Put up red, white, and blue. So this was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Good Lord. So Jeff, uh, my producer and videographer, uh, he was like sending emails to me about every time there was another mention of this controversy in the Chronicle. So I said, Jeff, not for nothing. I've been in this neighborhood 20 years. It ain't what it used to be. When I came here, for example, there were five Salamaria, five Italian delicatessens. There's one there now. Mm -hmm. So the neighborhood has shrunk because the original immigrants, they uh, prospered, 
they decided to move out of San Francisco to San Mateo, to Marin, they sold their property. So all of these businesses had a shrinking Italian, Italian-American base to support them, so they ended up closing. So I said, it's not what it used to be, but you know what, in the last seven, eight years, there's been a new wave of Italian immigrants coming, and they're opening restaurants, they're opening businesses, there's a revitalization of this Italian-American neighborhood. So after a few e emails, Jeff said, that, enough, I'll meet you Saturday, I'll have my camera, you take me around and show me the old and the new North Beach. And that's what we did. Mm, that was the first video That was the blog first video, right? Okay. And then uh, when that was all done, Jeff came back up here because I think I was making potato gnocchi for some people who were coming over that night. And Jeff filmed me making the gnocchi, but there's no, it's kind of a blurry video on purpose <laughs> and there's no audio. Mm -hmm. So people were watching the tour video and we're getting a lot of good comments about that. And they said, what the hell was he making though? So we started getting more and more comments. What was he cooking? So I said to Jeff, you want to do a cooking demonstration? Let's show him how to make potato gnocchi, which is what I was doing in the tour. So that's how it all started. Here we are a year later, probably with 30 recipes, probably about a dozen videos, and a lot of other information about what's happening in North Beach, some of the characters there. My, my current full-time job is trying to save this Neapolitan mural, the Song of Puccinella. So we're getting, you know, to meet there some of the artists, getting people involved in saving a treasure of North Beach, uh, and trying to preserve what we have. I think not only because Song of Puccinella was uh, representational of the food and culture of Naples, but uh, I also am very tired of this kind of chipping away mm. of North Beach. You lose a business here, you lose a restaurant there, you lose a mural. And that weekend, I was just overcome. I said, um, it's not going to happen. This erosion will not be. So that's part of what the mission is, not only to talk about the, the food and culture of Italy and Italian-American food and culture, but also to talk about the absolute richness we have in North Beach. I travel around the country. I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a neighborhood like North Beach anywhere else. You know, I was in Little Italy, which was the largest Italian immigrant community in the country. Mm -hmm. And the 2010 census said they couldn't find anybody in Little Italy who was born in Italy. Wow. Right? It used to be, you know, 100,000, 150,000 people lived in this small eight or 10 square block area. Now nobody's got, was born in Italy. They absolutely, they actually turned out to be wrong. I was in a place, a Latteria, where they make fresh mozzarella and, and ricotta for the last hundred years. A, uh, a, a leva, and I was coming out and I hit the street and this woman's walking by she looks up and she said, you Johnny from the web. So this was a woman that <laughs> happened to stumble on my website. I said, yeah, I'm Johnny from the web. Good thing I'm behaving because I, uh, I'm here by myself in Little Italy and you recognize me. So <laughs> she, uh, she must not have been home when the census takers rang her bell, right? Because she was born in Naples and she's been living in, in Little Italy for 20 years. They couldn't find her. So I did a little post about how 2010 census, nobody in Little Italy was born in Italy. I found one. So we have a lot to be proud of. There's a richness here that we enjoy every day. And I'm just trying to tell people about that. We've got an, a rich artist community. We have uh, poets who are still writing, living in the neighborhood, presenting their poems, reading their poems. 
You can't find another place like North Beach anywhere in the United States. And I'm just trying to let people know about it and uh, hopefully get them to appreciate it. If they come to San Francisco, come and enjoy some of, some of what we have to offer. And a big part of that is the Italian community too. I've been speaking with Johnny Mola. He's the creator of Johnny's North Beach, found at johnny.tv. Thank you for joining me, Johnny. Rick, thank you very much. Pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.